Good morning, everyone. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 to 20. New International Version. The armor of God. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mind power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may, you may be able to stand your, your ground, and after you have done everything to stand. Stand firm then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the redness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all these, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me, that whenever I speak, words may be given me, so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. Well, it is good to be back with you. And uh, last week was a challenging uh, passage because of the context, and many of you would be aware of the context, but it was a great privilege to be able to uh, delve into that passage yet again and uh, see how uh, my understanding has progressed. under God. Today's passage is uh, challenging for a different point of view. Uh, Paul manages to pack a lot into a short space and uh, that's the case in this this passage as well. The theme that uh, Megan has set for the passage is living fearlessly and that's a pretty, uh, pretty good summary of this passage. I want to refer pretty closely to the passage, so if you have your Bibles, or you have your uh, iPad, or your phone, or whatever it is that you might use, uh, I'd like you to follow along with me as we try to make our way through fairly quickly through this passage. Paul is concluding this letter, he's drawing things to a conclusion, uh, and he's opening Statement. I just wanted to spend a little bit of time uh, unpacking this. Because it seems to me sometimes uh, these opening statements, we sort of gloss over them. But notice what Paul actually is saying. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. And I just wanted to pause there a minute. And I'll be doing, uh, making the same point a little bit later when Paul starts talking about prayer. One of the ways in which we tend to live in our humanity is we live independently. We value independence. We love uh, to be sufficient, capable for everything that comes in life. Isn't that true? 
Our whole culture celebrates this independence, this self-sufficiency, this self-actualisation. Last week, you might remember that the passage begins... uh, Well, I'll ask you, because I do like involvement. How does that passage in uh, in chapter 5 begin? Be... Not imitators. No, no. How does it begin? Oh, this is a memory test, isn't it? Oh, it's like being back at school. Be subject to one another. Thank you. Be subject to one another. And I'm not sure about you, but I think for most people, there tends to be a little bit of a reaction straight away. Be subject to one another. Be subject. But what's Paul driving at? And what's he driving at here in this whole passage that we're dealing with today? You might recall that uh, last week I made reference back to the creation story, to the the opening of Genesis as as context within which to begin to look at Ephesians. I'll ask it a different way. What went wrong? What went wrong in that opening story? What went wrong? Not a rhetorical question. Think about it. what went wrong. Genesis chapter three. We disobeyed. Sorry. People disobeyed. Yeah, they disobeyed. Uh, instead of trusting God, uh, there is a rebellion. There's uh, a statement of autonomy. I will trust my own judgment. I will do what I think is right. I will not trust you, God. Uh, Unfortunately, that drive to autonomy also infects our human relationships. It's, I'm right, I'll go my own way, I'll make my own judgments. And of course that leads to conflict, oh so often in all sorts of relationships, including the relationships within family, and that was the context of last week. But notice that it begins with a break in the relationship, the trusting relationship between our maker and ourselves. We want to live autonomously. We want to do our own thing. We trust our own judgment about what's right and what's best. Uh, We prize being sufficient to live our lives however we want, to meet every challenge. Occasionally we strike a few challenges that are too big for us, but by and large, we try to get through on our own, don't we? That's the story of humanity. Notice how Paul begins here. Be strong in the Lord. It's not just get a few tools from God so that we can live life using these tools, but doing it our way. It's being strong in the Lord. It's a relational statement. Be strong in in the Lord in terms of that relationship of drawing upon the Lord, upon God. Be close to God. Be in step with God. Be drawing from him continually. He is available to you. He wants to be in this intimate relationship with us in the midst of life. 
We were never intended to just live autonomously and independently. And God desires that relationship with us, of walking with us. Remember the story in the garden? God comes, however you read it, God comes in the cool of the evening to spend time with the first humans. So we're continually being invited back into this space. And so it is here. The context is quite specific. Put on the full armour of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Now, I know some Christians are not sure about the idea of a personal devil. Um, I'm going to leave that topic largely alone. Suffice to say, I've had a few experiences of life and I've had some testimonies from people, particularly a friend, Ken, who spent time in prison. And while in prison, had some very dark experiences and then, uh, I won't go into detail, but experienced the light of Christ coming into his cell. Um, And he found Christ, he found faith in the midst of that dark situation of being oppressed oppressed by the presence of evil. So for me, I'm going to make the assumption that uh, the devil is a real personal entity uh, and that uh, and interpret the passage that way. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against powers of this dark world and against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Why would, why would Paul emphasise this? Our struggle is not against flesh and blood. I'll elaborate on this a little bit more in a moment. We are apt to see the primary enemy as other human beings. And that can lead to very negative interactions with other human beings. And I think Paul is inviting us to realise that there is something that lies behind the wrong and the evil that we see in this world and to recognise the real enemy, the real source and tackle that rather than being aggressive. Seeing other human beings as being the primary source of all that's wrong. And when he talks about our feet being shod with the peace of the gospel in a few minutes, uh, you'll see the importance of this. Therefore, seeing we are opposed by significant and profound forces that would seek to undermine us, just as our first parents were undermined in the garden, how do we confront such an enemy? You can't physically take him on. Um, can't sort of have an argument with him and sort of try to win the argument. He's much too clever, much more subtle, much more profound than that. Um, so how do we tackle this enemy? It's the full armour of God. I'm going to go through this fairly quickly, but just make some points. Notice that he starts with the belt of truth buckled around our waist. 
truth. Truth. Satan is described elsewhere in scripture as the father of all nice loud voices lies. The father of all lies. When we tell untruths, perhaps when it's convenient, it seems convenient to just uh, fudge the truth a little bit to avoid a complication, but whatever it is, that we actually give way, we participate, uh, we yield to the father of all lies. We give ground, we, we open ourselves to, to Satan, to the devil is, is described in this passage, Diablo. Not a good move. Would you agree? Not a good move to give way to our enemy, give ground unwittingly by beginning to tell an untruth, to avoid a situation, to gain an advantage in a situation. We're actually the big losers at that point. We need to be people of the truth. When we're people of the truth, then we are people of God. There are, say, occasionally marginal issues. Take, for instance, uh, World War II, the Nazis and uh, Dutch people like Corrie ten Boom's family are hiding Jews and, and having to tell untruths. There, there are issues sometimes like that where... Um, an ethical priority means that we hide the truth for a greater good. We need to be very careful around those, but they do exist. But by and large in our lives, we need to be people of truth. Even if it sometimes costs us, it would be to our advantage if the truth was not proclaimed. We need to be people of truth and not give way. We have the breastplate of righteousness. Righteousness. To seek to live righteously. To protect our heart from the one who would accuse us and say, well, yeah, you call yourself a Christian, but look what you did. Look what you said. Look at that attitude that you have. We need to seek to live righteously, but living righteously involves us keeping in step with the Spirit. It's not just us summoning the, the strength to do it. Uh, to live righteously requires the involvement of the Spirit of Christ in our lives. So it is yielding our lives each day to Christ, to, to his spirit, to keep in step, to, to frustrate and grieve the spirit. Living dependently, not independently. It's a hard lesson to learn. I'm still trying to learn it. <laughs> I've got a few years at least on some of you. Um, living dependently. 
not independently, when our whole human nature tends to want to live independently. Relearning how to live, yielding ourselves to Christ. I think the other thing in terms of righteousness is just keeping short accounts. Yeah, 1 John chapter 1. Uh, we do mess up, don't we? Or is it just me? Uh, I certainly do. Um, I think one or two of you might too. Uh, keeping short accounts so that we don't have a, a conscience that's, uh, that's accusing us. Uh, and we know that we're right with God. Our heart is protected. Satan can't get in and sort of make accusations. He's got no ground to stand on. Breastplate of righteousness. What else do we have here? We have feet fitted with the readiness of the gospel that comes from the gospel. The gospel of peace. Uh, Paul elsewhere in, in Corinthians talks about our ministry being the ministry of reconciliation. Christians are always about peace, the gospel of peace, about reconciliation. And it needs to work out in our lives. We can't sort of be people who, in one segment of our life, are adversaries, we're fighting fights, and, and then suddenly we, we want to speak about the gospel with people, so we become all peace-loving all of a sudden. You know, like a bit schizophrenic, you know? uh, it, it doesn't work. The nature of our life needs to reflect the gospel. It's a gospel of peace. Now, people are Christians on the right and Christians on the left, if you know what I'm referring to, the progressives and the reactionaries. Uh, I, I fear sometimes both get this wrong. I feel they both get this wrong too often. We need to understand that it is the gospel of peace. We, we come with a message that God wants peace with us and has done everything. Remember communions this morning? God has done everything to open the way to reconcile us to himself. He's given his very best, his eternal beloved son, that we might be at peace with him. His whole desire is towards us, not because he has to, but because he wants to. He's driven by this desire for peace with us. And this is the message that we bring. This is the message that's offered to each one of us. This morning, it's a message. God wants peace. He's opened the way. It's a ministry of reconciliation. So our actions, our life, our our movement needs to be reflective of this gospel of peace. In addition to all of this, take up the shield of faith with which you extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Uh, Faith. Trust in God. Not just a bit of theology. Theology is useful, but something deeper than theology. And that's essential trust in the nature of God. That he is for us, that he is with us, 
that he can be counted on, that he listens to our prayers, that he's already thought about us before we pray, that he has a way forward for us because he has opened the way in Christ, that he is interested in all the details of our life. When things go wrong, when things go drastically wrong, the faith that God is still there and is still at work in our lives Faith, the faith which extinguishes those flaming arrows of doubt, those insinuations, does God really care when this accident's happened and it's caused such great loss? When this illness suddenly comes? Whatever it is that happens in our life, when this suddenly comes to us, Uh, trust in God in his goodness, his presence in his essential nature and his attitude towards us, that faith that holds us and extinguishes those flaming arrows of doubt the helmet of salvation protecting our mind that we are saved, that we are in Christ that, that God has done everything that is necessary and that that salvation forms the, the framework, the worldview within which we function. And the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Just briefly, I can recount many times when I've met pastoral people, um, both people who have faith and people who are perhaps on a journey towards faith, and uh, lots of my words... They don't seem to make much impact. But then you bring them to God's Word. And then it makes a real difference. Someone who's going through tragedy in their life, illness, whatever it is. uh, You go to a passage that speaks about the care of God. And those words make a profound difference. How important it is that we we know and depend on and use God's word. After all, they're God's words. My words are just my words. Who am I? <laughs> just another human being. But these are God's words. Okay, so you know that I notice I didn't refer to the Sunday school picture of the soldier, the Roman soldier. Thought I'd move through a bit more quickly than that. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. Again, I take you to this back to this primary thought around dependence, trust in God. This desire that God has for us to live in an intimate moment by moment, day by day interaction, not of independence but interdependence where we draw on him and and he allows us to minister as well. Confession time. Mine, that is, not yours. Uh, Still I find uh, in so much of my life, because I'm sort of a bit multi-capable, I've been an engineer and I've worked on a farm, I've done building, I've done education, I've done theology, 
Um, I've done all sorts of things in my life and talk to my wife. The number of things that I'd much rather do myself than get a tradesman in, I'm in the midst of some of those now. Uh, just about anything I'll tackle. So that's the sort of person I am. We're all like that a little bit. Actually, we're all like it a big bit. And the way in which we tackle life is that, oh, there's a whole lot of things from little inconsequential things to quite big things, and I know what to do. I handle it myself. That's okay. Um, And then occasionally there are bigger things that come along and we think, oh, oh, I'm not sure about this one. I think I'd better pray. As Christians, as people of faith, we, we, uh, we turn to, faith, to our faith and we turn to God at those moments and say, mm, okay, God, <laughs> need a bit of help with this one. The rest of, it's, rest of life's okay, but this one I need a bit of help with. Okay? Do you recognise yourself in that? Because this is confession, this is me. Yep. God really wants, truly wants, a really interactive journey of life with us. He's a little bit more capable than we are. Just a little. Actually, a big little. But he's interested in the little things of life. He wants to be there for us in the little things and the big things. He wants to dialogue with us. He wants to do life together with us. Now, that's pretty cool, isn't it? In fact, that's the most extraordinary thing I've ever come across, that God would want to do life with us. Our mundane little lives. That no one else, apart from a few people close to us, care about at all. And God thinks, wow, I'm really interested in your life. I'm really interested in the things that are going on. I really want to be involved. Can I be involved? And we say, no, I can handle that. I'm okay. Ah, but I need you for this one. Yeah. Ah, well, later, I need you for that. I think I should need you for that. I think I can probably handle it, but, you know, because I'm a Christian, I'm a person of faith, and perhaps I should pray about that one. Because Christians pray, so I should. So what should I pray about? And God all the time is saying, you don't have to do like that, why? I've got a fun way of doing life with you. Why don't you come on board? I'm taking it that Paul is saying that, because he's saying... Pray on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. You know, just make prayer. Not, you know how we make prayer a big deal? Just talk to me. As the day's going on, what do you think about this, Lord? Uh, this is pretty cool. Converse with him. Pray with him. Have all sorts of requests just in the course of our day. 
Pray in the Spirit, does it mean pray in tongues? I'm not sure, sure. perhaps it goes Pentecostal war, I might say that, but I think it is just being in step with the Spirit, being aware of God, just inviting God into, even asking, what should I pray about in this circumstance? I'm talking to this person, you know, you're probably praying out loud, it's going back in, in the back of your mind and saying, I'm talking to this person, what should I pray about? And you pray. In the quiet of your own mind. Ah, oh, and you're sitting with someone having coffee. Oh, bless this person. Meet their need, whatever it is. And is it sometimes even ask, can I pray for you? Done this plenty of times. People are people of faith. Can I pray for you? Oh, a bit surprised? Sure. Okay. I've had very few people refuse. And just pray for them, simple prayer. Make, allow God to be the companion in your life. Why do life effectively largely on your own when God can be involved in every dimension of your life all the time? Notice again, uh, for Paul, this focus on the gospel, the mystery of the gospel, and the ambassador in chains. The gospel is the most amazing and wonderful thing. That God cares for we little insignificant humans scurrying around on this tiny planet. That God cares about us so much. Matters so profoundly to him. That Easter was the consequence. What amazing good news Easter is. God cares. God cares profoundly. And God has done everything to make the way open for we humans to get back where we belong in that intimate communion with our maker, that wonderful life with him. Well, friends, not sure what thoughts stuck with you as I went through, but take those into your week and be encouraged by them, perhaps challenged. Um, pray for me, because I did a lot of confessing. <laughs> but I do have some chocolate to confuse it. <laughs> and thank you, Lord, for you being the reason that we gather and we consider and we pray and we worship and we enjoy one another's fellowship apart from Christ. Most of us would never have met. But because of Christ, here we are. Isn't that special?